you cannot have the confidence to rise up and challenge the rest of the world and compete with the rest of the world when you are trying so hard to be like the rest of the world. Right. Wild lands, wild life offers young people as we continue this conversation and conservation and tying it into your mindset. Hello and welcome to another episode of the AOU podcast, Entrepreneur Leadership in Africa. I'm your host, Savannah Olo. This is season 3.0, where we explore and gain insights from mission-led leaders across the African continent and the globe. Do you have a mission you're working towards? Or maybe you're looking for the courage to finally chase it. Well, we'll give you all the insights and inspiration you'll need to go ahead and become world ready. On this episode, we have our guest, Kadu Sabunya, who serves as a CEO of the Africa Wildlife Foundation. Today, we talk about protecting Africa's most threatened species. We discuss key things such as poaching, governance, policies, wildlife, and wildlands. Speaking of which, do you know the difference between wildlife and wildlands? Well, Sado is here to tell you everything wildlife conservation and protection. Did you know there are places that charge over 1500 USD to see one animal? Neither did I. So I suggest you buckle up and prepare your mind for all the gems of knowledge we're about to drop. All right, Mr. Kadu, thank you so much for taking time out of, you know, your schedule to be a part of the ALU podcast. We're so pleased to have you here um, and welcome to the ALU podcast. Great, it's a pleasure being here and thanks a lot for inviting me. All right, so we usually kick off the episode with a small icebreaker and the question of the day for you today is, what is your favorite wild animal and why? Ah, ah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult question for me uh, uh, because, you know, uh, for 20 years dealing with wildlife and uh, conservation, it's uh, hard to pick. Uh, but uh, I'm very much drawn towards uh, the mountain gorillas uh, uh, that uh, I love dearly. But you know what? Uh, being an African, uh, we don't have a choice really. Uh, black and white Columbus monkey and the Statoga. Uh, my clans, uh, my totem, uh, and just by bath, uh, these the black and white Columbus monkey and Statunga, uh, I you know uh, my my cultural identity, uh, uh, and they they define me. Uh, they 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 make me who I am, uh, and I have an obligation to like them protect them and to conserve their habitat. Uh, so uh, because of because of that Africans, uh, I so I have to say I dearly love a black and white Columbus monkey and Statunga. Uh, and in my language it's a gay and the Italaganya. Those are my clans. All right. So when was the last time you came across either one of these animals? Statunga is very shy, so it's hard to see. The black and white Columbus I see it all the time here in Kenya. The last time I saw I saw that was my visit to Savo uh, a month ago, Savo National Park. All right. So thank you so much for that. Um, the vision of the Africa Wildlife Foundation is an Africa where su- sustainable development includes thriving wildlife and wild lands as a cultural and economic asset for Africa's future generations. Why does this matter more than ever? Oh, it does, especially at this time. A couple of reasons. One, uh, Africa is at a crossroad. Uh, we are determining our future uh, as Africa. Uh, the second point is uh, it's our heritage. Uh, the third is uh, economic aspirations of Africa are tied into conservation. And the fourth, I would say, brand, you know, wildlife, wildlands is brand Africa. Uh, and the last point is, he, you know, looking at the pandemic now, COVID-19, it's one health. Human beings are not going to be healthy if wildlife is not. But I'm breaking it down on uh, our continent is a crossroad. What I mean by that is that uh, pre-COVID, there was this huge sustained economic surge on the continent. Uh, the best economic growth was happening here. 
uh, in Africa. Uh, and for some of us, we had termed it the, the, you know, this African economic surge as the lion's economy. Uh, we are surging uh, an analogy to the Asian tigers, uh, you know, two, two decades ago. Uh, and, you know, that surge, you could, we could see it. Uh, education, just as a sector, it was one of the most fundamental changes on the country, on the, on the continent, literacy rates. My generation, that's 50 plus, it's about 30% of us are educated. But now, your, your generation, if I can guess, 15 to 30, 90% of you are educated today. You know? Right. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a different continent, mortality rate, uh, you know, uh, urbanization. This is the most urbanizing continent in the entire world. You know, trade, the countries have merged. We are not, we are now talking about one African free trade area. Your customs are going down. Right. Labor movement is improving. Middle class, almost 60 million Africans uh, are in middle class with the income of about $2,000 a year. So all these things have determined Africa that we are at a crossroad. We are at a tipping point. But that has happened over the last 20 years. And it has come at a price, you know, that is what is not widely reported and acknowledged that during that surge, the same period of economic growth, Africa has experienced a devastating loss of our unique heritage. In that same period, lions, which were numbering about 50,000 on the continent in, in 2005, not a long time ago, we are now close to 23,000. That's half by down. This is in our gener you know, in our lifetime. Right. The elephants, there were 1.3 million in 1970. Now they have dropped, they dropped to about uh, 600, in 2005, now they are at 400 today, and they're still dropping because of this, uh, our, you know, our economic surge. Most, you know, rhinos, they're extinct. My country, Uganda, we no longer have rhinos in the wild. Our heritage is going to determine the and that's why it's so important that while Africa is dealing with the economic, if forget the ecological infrastructure, that is going to determine how long these lion economies roar across the continent. So that is why an organization, the un-African organization like ours, the largest and the oldest on the continent. We are tackling conservation, not as a name itself, but conservation in terms of what it means to Africa's aspirations and what it, how it ties into our development plans. So that's why we do conservation, uh, because it's so important for aspirations. But what is also other points that are not so said about is it's our heritage. Wildlands and wildlife, like I said about my clan, they define who we are as Africans. We are not defined by our color because we are black. You know, right. wildlife and wildlands define this continent. They differentiate us from everybody else. They are our brand, they are our heritage. You know, it's, and Africa is the home for the third of the global biodiversity. So it's our pride. And therefore, conservation is not about hugging trees. It's protecting our identity as Africans, sustaining it for the future generation of Africans. You know, but also it underpins our development aspirations, like, like I say. So our work is extremely important. Uh, COVID-19 has demonstrated 
that conservation is not about wildlife or development or heritage, okay. but it's also about our ex ex human existence on this planet and on this continent especially. Yeah. The way we manage our natural resources, our relationship with our wildlife is going to determine the next virus that will come if we continue behaving and managing and having a bad relationship with wildlife. So today when you ask me what my job is about, it's to ensure that viruses stay on with wildlife, but also stay in the wildlands so that human beings, human species can enjoy this planet. That is our, so our job is really connected to health and we are at the front line. Yeah, right. Thank you so much. I mean, you sound so passionate about um, conservation and wildlife and world lands and preserving them. So I do have to ask, what attracted you to this um, field exactly? And has it always been something that you wanted to do since you were young? No, but as an African, we are all connected to this, to our life. We see it every day. We, we deal with it all the time. You know, 90% of Africans, you know, life is about uh, managing nature, uh, especially as Africa is too rural uh, for now. But personally, no, the answer is no. I always wanted to be a lawyer. I always uh, wanted to be, a, you know, my dad was a was involved in politics. I, I wanted to be, you know, politics. And my background, I'm not an ecologist. My background is in political science and sociology. That is my education. But I was attracted to this, but I just succeeded. Uh, I, you know, I started in the UK, came back to my country, Uganda, uh, as a volunteer through an NGO. And they posted me in one of the rural areas in Uganda, having been born in, a, in Kampala, which is the capital. Uh, I never lived in a rural area. That was my first time to, to really test the rural Africa, just straight from UK. Uh, and this was a fishing village. I was so fortunate. It was a fishing village in one of the largest parks, in second largest park in Uganda, Queen Elizabeth National Park. It was a community living inside the park on a lake, Lake George, and it was a fishing community. And my job was to provide uh, fresh water, uh, clean water to these, uh, to these communities. But because wildlife was all over the place, uh, and living there, I lived there for almost a year, uh, and I, I, I realized that I was the only one really excited when I saw a giraffe, excited when I saw a hippo, excited when the lions roared. Uh, and very early on at that stage, I was in my 20s, uh, I really started questioning why it's only me here and realizing that uh, if Africans really, we, are, we don't get excited about these resources and uh, these mega uh, forms of uh, what we have, we are not going to be able to maintain, sustain, and our children might not see because I saw people just killing and eating them. And that from that day, it really, I started reading, researching, connecting to people, uh, doing this kind of work. And, uh, you know, 30 years after, it led me where I am as a CEO of the oldest and the largest African organization. But the journey was long, of course. Right. All right, great. Thank you so much for that. So you mentioned that um, rhinos are now extinct. And, you know, since 1960, the black rhino population is down by 97.6%. So approximately a thousand mountain gorillas um, remain, and as many as 35,000 elephants are killed each year. During your, trips, during your trips across Africa, what poaching story has had the greatest impact on you? Poaching is, is one of the worst things that's going on on the continent. Uh, globally, wildlife poaching and associated trafficking uh, have grown actually into a very lucrative uh, transnational organized tribe. 
uh, uh, sorry, organized crime uh, that is really uh, decimating populations of our species. Uh, you talked about rhinos, elephants, great apes, pangolins, and now gi uh, giraffes are uh, threatened. Uh, really, poaching has indeed robbed us as Africans of our heritage. Uh, and this is all about international trade. Uh, remember, we were colonized because of trade. We lost, you know, because of trade. Our brothers and sisters were enslaved because of trade. Uh, and now your generation, my generation, are watching again Africa losing its heritage, its resources, again through trade. No Africans buy these things. They are, you know, they are demanded from outside. So my story really, uh, there are many stories. I mean, I've been involved in this work and we have a big program on poaching, but I'll pick about uh, the mountain gorillas. Uh, you know, we've been working around the mountain gorillas for the last 40 years as an organization. And we've been very, very successful at that working together with the three countries, uh, Uganda, Rwanda, and the Democratic Republic of Congo, where these mega species are only found uh, in the Virogas in the entire world. Uh, they're only found in, in this area. We hadn't lost a single mountain gorilla for more than 30 years to Pochi okay. until May 30th last year when in Uganda, a mountain gorilla called Rafiki. I had seen Rafiki about 12 times. Right. Rafiki was killed during an incident where he was surprised by a poacher in Bwindi Impenetrable National Park. That is the southwestern Uganda. His body was discovered by park rangers on June 2nd. Investigations showed that he was killed by a sharp object that penetrated his internal organs. Oh, the killer, so the killer killed this silverback, not because they wanted anything from it, but they were looking for small antelopes and they just came across uh, this uh, silverback and it protected its family by attacking these individuals. So it was a, a self-preservation, protection, and response uh, from the investigations we've had. You know, this is a majestic uh, animal. Uh, you know, he was, he was 25 years old when he died. Uh, and his death uh, was felt by both communities and groups. Through our work, these communities, because of this group, we worked with them to build one of the most high-end lodge in Uganda that is owned by the communities. It's called the Clouds Lodge. Because of this family, the communities earn more than uh, it's about uh, you know three hundred million dollars, so about uh, the hundred thousand dollars. Uh, from this lodge because of this family of gorillas. So the communities, the entire village is so much attached to this family that this silverback was The family is devastated, uh, the mountain gorilla family. Uh, I was there two months ago just to see how the family is regaining its uh, it's a group, you remember the silverback is the head, yeah. is the protector. The sun is taking over, luckily. Yeah. I was there two months ago and witnessed that, you know, that handover kind of, if I may call it that, that takeover okay. from the eldest son. Yeah. It's going on very well, uh, but also had several conversations with the communities who are really sadly affected by this death. And they're really, uh, the family that was involved in the killing, of course, the law is taking its course. But uh, you feel so sorry uh, for the entire family because the communities are not happy about this. And uh, uh, it's, it's really 
a, a, a story that has a good ending, that it has really highlighted and brought again uh, the importance of Mautiriborians to these communities and the realization of the communities that they needed to defend wildlife because of the, the, the economic uh, you know, contribution this family has, been, has done to this community for the many, many years. But also now they see a real connection uh, between their survival and the forest itself in terms of its contribution uh, to their aspirations. All right. So the African lion is the second largest living big cat after the tiger. And the sound of its roar can be heard from as far as eight kilometers away. However, its population decreased by 43% in 21 years and regionally extinct in 15 African countries with as few as 23,000 left today. What measures are being taken to protect Africa's largest cut um, with, from extinction? The lions are very interesting for Africa. And uh, you know, I talked about the Af brand Africa. Anyone who doesn't think that wildlife is a brand uh, can just look at uh, the business sector, how they treat our brands. Uh, you know, I've traveled across the continent, you know, and the lion is the name of the, our kings. You know, that's how important this, this species is to our heritage. Across the continent, uh, the lion, the commercial sector has picked the lions it's one of the strong, our strongest bears across the continent. You know, they are, they are called either lions or local language meaning lions. And most of the adverts of these bears are the roaring lion. You know, in Uganda, the strongest roofing sheets have the name of the lions, the lions. So it's really a very, very important species commercially, culturally uh, to us. But like you say, the numbers are really sad. 200,000 of lions roamed Africa a century ago. Okay. 90,000 in 1970s. I hope I'm talking to people who were born in 1970s. <laughs> no. 80s. You know, no. 90,000. 90,000 in That's my lifetime. Yeah. Now, your lifetime, if you are born in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, right. now there are only about 23,000 left. So, so now, if you look at that trend, in the next 30 years, right. we may have none. So, so what is killing them? Over the last century, this species has been a victim of poaching. Yeah. Habitat loss, human wildlife conflict. More recently, lion bone trade for use in traditional medicine and wine, especially in Asia. But also, climate change has impacted its habitat and its food. So, habitat loss is the biggest challenge for these large carnivores. Okay. So to ensure that the habitats are preserved and if possible restored, AWF is promoting landscape level conservation as well as undertaking land use planning to ensure integration of protected communities, areas to prevent conflict and encroachment. Lions are so important to us, they control the population by balance the ecosystem because their food is really balances the carrying the current capacities of many habitats. You know, for example, in Uganda, uh, there's a park called Lake Eburu. It lost all its lions, and now it's left with a few leopards. The biggest problem there is zebras and other things, other antelopes that are now impacting the carrying capacity of the park because you know, the lions are gone. Anymore, yeah. But also the lions are indicator species. They, they indicate to us as conservations how healthy, you know, the ecosystem is, and uh, which typically provide a range of benefits to, uh, to communities. 
Uh, but what are we doing to your question, back to your question, as AWF? We approach conservation of these species, uh, especially lions, in three ways. We stop the killing, we stop the trafficking, okay. and we stop the demand. Stop the killing, we advocate for land use planning in communities area. We conduct law enforcement training to increase the capacity among law enforcement agencies. We develop community engagement and enterprise programs that help and bring communities closer to wildlife and address human-wildlife conflict. Stop the trafficking through our conservation canine programs, which trains handlers across the continent and will provide sniffer dogs to detect wildlife products at Africa's seaports, airports, and tracker dogs that track poachers of wildlife in particular areas. Majority of the dogs you see on airports in some countries of the continent are provided by our organizations and the handlers are trained okay. by us. Uh, and I'll give you an example of, of that in a recent incident in Serengeti National Park in Tanzania, for, uh, not far from Ikomoga dog compound, a ranger saw some trucks in the area where there should be no people. He reported his suspicion to the team and they opted to call the dog team that we provided uh, to Serengeti Park. The dogs picked the trucks where they were able to lead the team to a line of snares which were just at the edge of the park. So the dogs were able to trace these steps up to the poachers' houses where they found bushmeat. So there were eventual arrests, they were very, you know, we collected all the snares. But the great thing about this case is that not only where we, the parks were successful to arrest the poachers, but also it sent a strong signal to the village that the risks are higher. Because, you know, poaching is a decision. If the risks are low, you're going to choose poaching instead of agriculture. Right. So if we increase the risks of being caught, then we reduce the, um, a number of people choosing the option to poach in addressing their needs, which is mostly really poverty. So, uh, you know, the drivers of this is really the poverty we found uh, in, in many of our, our brothers and sisters who live near these parks. Uh, and very quickly, we stop the demand. We are working closely with the African Union to ensure that wildlife conservation and biodiversity is central to the process of the next in the next decades, and it's part of our the Africa we want, and our agenda 2063 uh, for the continent. Uh, but outside the continent, we've launched successfully public awareness in China and Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, informing consumers about the brutal truth behind global wildlife trade. I've been visiting China pre-COVID. It's amazing when you discuss with the individuals there. They don't realize that actually, you know, you get ivory when that you have to kill a, 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 a rhino or an elephant to get ivory. They think that actually ivory drops off. Uh, you know, uh, an elephant and someone picks it and takes it to the market or oh. a rhino hole just drops off because of age. Uh, they, they don't understand the courage behind this. So we've been working there to increase the education but also working with the government directly of China. At AOU, we believe in missions, not majors. This is why we are introducing a new program called the Bachelors of Entrepreneurial Leadership. It is a one-of-a-kind program equipping you to be consequential and ignite a ripple of change in the world. Are you looking to become the ultimate problem solver? An entrepreneur leader that makes all the difference in the community and the world? Join AOU and begin your entrepreneurial journey. To learn more about Bachelors of Entrepreneurial Leadership, visit our website www.aoueducation.com 
come lead a mission-led life. All right, so um, I do have to ask though, um, human settlements in certain areas, would that be also a factor that affects uh, trafficking and the loss of habitat for um, wild animals? It's a factor, but it's not a driver. Right. You know, uh, you know, human settlement, look, you know, Africa, all Africans, we are going to make choices. We are going to live where we want. We are, you know, we are going to have our highways if that's what we want. And, you know, our, you know, hydro dams. And we, we must because, you know, that's our aspirations. But I think that issue is where should they go? Where should they, where should they, where should we permit Africa to put settlements? Uh, to, you know, what discussion should we have? Uh, which we must uh, in the in the negotiation between for space for human beings and space for wildlife, we can't just develop without a master plan. But also, we can't just settle on develop or our development model. Big this idea here from our leaders today of chasing the Western world. Why are we chasing the Western world? What is the African model? It can't be the model that US used to develop or Europe. Looking at China, yeah. it is a mistake. China is paying the price by just chasing the Western world. <laughs> and you know, pollution there is, is, is horrible. So why is Africa chasing the Western world without yeah. stepping back and saying, what is that model for Africa that fits our aspirations, fits our heritage, fits our cultures, and fits our realities in terms of we have tropical continent. You know, we have deserts, we have wetlands, we have savannas, we have, there must be an African model. So where is that Africa we want? And that's what we, we should use in the choices of where we settle. But also, it's, it's not all about choices about economic development and infrastructure and what we need to do. But also, the choices on the side of the conservationists. We can't have everything. You know, also, the conservation community, which I belong to, <laughs> we need to accept to lose some things. We cannot protect every national park, every wetland, every forestry, every savanna which existed when Africa had a quarter of the population. My country, Uganda, when they demarcated all these parks we have and forest reserves, and it had less than 80 million people. Now Uganda has more than 45 million people. We can't really say that, oh, Uganda needs to have all those protected areas. No, or all those forestry reserves, all those wetlands, don't touch them but you have the economic development you need. It's not possible. So it's really sitting down, layering these maps, doing a, a, a master plan for every country, determining the role of wildlife and wildlands in the national development plans, in the continental aspirations of the agenda 2063. And it's possible based on the science we know it's possible based on the technology we have. It's possible based on the capacity Africa already has. So it's just really a matter of choices we make. What is really scares me is that we have the decisions that our leaders are making today on, the, on our economic aspirations are the ones that are going to determine the Africa we will have and the Africa we will leave to the next generation. That is going to determine in the next 10 years. From the conversation I'm hearing on this aspect, wildlife yeah. and wildlands is not part of that conversation. Mm. And we know scientifically that we are not going to be successful okay. in achieving those economic plans if we don't streamline biodiversity 
into those aspirations. Yeah. That is purely science. So how can governments and international trade best contribute to um, your wildlife conservation efforts? Yeah, it can't be about wildlife trade. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people think that somehow we can use wildlife trade to uh, improve our wildlife conservation and effort. Uh, you know, I, I shiver when I hear Africans thinking that we have to kill our animals and chop down our trees uh, to, uh, to trade with the rest of the world. So we need dead animals and dead trees okay. uh, for us to be able to, 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 to trade uh, and benefit uh, from our heritage. Uh, yeah. That's a false choice. I think that we just need to add value to the live animals, to the live trees, in order to promote our economic aspirations. Uh, so international trade is very, very, very important in this, in, in, uh, in this aspect. Uh, but uh, the, we need to refocus, for example, uh, there are natural assets uh, that are, are really so reliant back to uh, our, our traditions. Just an example of medicinal plants. Right. If we could patent based on the knowledge we have across the continent, pharmaceutical companies are a trillion dollar economy. Yeah. And a lot of that is based so much on a third of the biodiversity assets Africa holds okay. in comparison to the rest of the world. Mm. So Africa researching around that pharmaceutical properties and patenting that is a huge contribution, can be to our economies. It can't be dead trees and dead plants and dead animals, you know? So that is just, just as a small example of how our resources, because I'm a strong believer that the wealth of Africa is above the ground okay. and not under the ground, as some economists have told us over the centuries. And where I see a lot of our governments investing. If you look at investment in research across the continent, for especially from governments, they're trying to figure out whether they have oil, where the mineral, where the minerals are. Yeah. You know, they're mapping out where these things, where these resources are underground. And we've been told that Africa is a rich continent. You know, oh, Africa is rich, as if Africa is a country. There are less than 10 countries that are rich in minerals across the continent. Why, why is anyone telling us that Africa is rich in minerals? It's less than 10 countries that are rich in minerals. Africa is not a country. You know, if you look across the continent, the richness of Africa is in our natural resources. Right. It's our soils. It's our fresh water. No other continent has fresh water than this, this continent. Okay. It's our clean air. That's our navy <laughs> of the entire world. It's our people. Right. That's so innovative. It's our rich cultures. 3,000 languages spoken on this continent. So it, it, it is it's a force choice that we are making in terms of how we trade with the rest of the world. We need to look at our comparative advantages. The rest of the world has oil. Okay. The rest of the world is a battle of technology to exploit oil. There is no continent, there's no country in the world that has no oil. It's just a battle of what existing technology that can get that oil out yeah. and be as tradable. But giraffes are only found on this continent. I talked about the mountain gorillas. Yeah. You know, 
how can't we bottle them? Why is it that the next Coca-Cola? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, we've done that with the mountain gorillas. Yeah. In my in my view, it's the most expensive commodity in the world. Yeah. In Rwanda, you pay one thousand five hundred dollars to spend one hour with a mountain gorilla. You don't eat it. You don't take it away. You don't touch it. In fact, you are 10 meters away from it. The only thing we sell you at $1,500 in that one hour is for you to look at it, spend time with it, take a photo, and go away. And then we say next next consumer. Where is where is a product like that in the world that you don't consume, you don't take home? Right. Why can't that be multiplied to a number of things? Why do we have you know it's it's just a, a false uh focus and a mindset that I hope young people is gonna change. Uh, on, on, on this continent. And I hear a lot of people complain about that, by the way. The cost, especially international travelers. Oh, the cost is too high. $1,500 is too high. But they've paid $3,000 to travel business class on British Airways. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. The priorities are Does it add up? Does it add up? They are staying in a hotel where they are paying $400, sometimes $2,000 a day. Yeah. In one of these international lodges. But they are complaining they can't, they can't pay $1,500 for a commodity that, have, that has attracted them to come. You've come yeah. to see mountain gorillas. You've paid $4,000 a ticket to come. But you are complaining you don't want to pay $1,500. Fuck, it's cheap right now. <laughs> Compared to the cost that you've incurred. Yeah. So uh, I'm not an economist, uh, but uh, really African economists, we need to look at this and see how can we factor this in. Rhinos are found in few countries of this continent. Why are we want to trade their horns? Yeah. And not a live rhino. We are kidding ourselves. And the decisions we are making on economics are depleting the habitats. And like you've had the numbers in 30 years, a lot of these species will be no more. Yeah. And therefore, our children are going to be producing phones, clothes, trying to produce cars that can be produced anywhere in the world. Why are we setting them up when they can have products that no one can compete with in our natural resources. It's a false choice. Okay, so about two-thirds of people in rural Africa coexist with the wildlife in the vast ecosystem. How then can we best strengthen Africa's criminal justice systems to fight illegal wildlife trade while promoting this coexistence? I mean, you've already mentioned from the private sector how you've been able to train um, sniffer dogs for them to identify um, poachers and, you know, um, wildlife products that are being smuggled and traded internationally. So what do you think the government can do to stop the illegal wildlife trade? We've been in this business for quite a, a number of years. And, we, you know, what, what, what we see working from our own programs is we need to build capacity. Yeah. of Africans and African lead. Okay. We need strengthening our laws. We need to improve international networks. This illegal wildlife trade, I don't I, I haven't come across in all the countries I've I've, I've traveled in an African a market of an African buying you know, ivory other than bush meat, but buying ivory and buying uh, rhino horn. All this is international trade. So it's outside the countries. So we need to build a regional network. 
we need to increase our funding and awareness. Yeah. And then law enforcement is very important. As AWF, we are facilitating regional judicial training sessions with magistrates, law enforcement officers, custom agencies. So this is not only about uh, magistrates and law enforcement. We train custom agents, immigration agencies. The last time I was talking to one, one immigrant, 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 immigration agents and customers, I showed them an, an, a hold from uh, these long Ankore holds in Uganda and, uh, you know, and then I for a, you know, uh, from an alpha, they couldn't tell the difference. So yeah. someone can easily walk through customs with, uh, with ivory because they're telling our customers agents that no, no, this is a cow hold. So we are so building that capacity is very, very, very important. Strengthening the laws is very important. Prosecution processes. We've devoted manuals for prosecutors. Yeah. These criminals hire the best lawyers because they have funds. So we need our prosecutors to be up to the capacity to challenge lawyers and correct evidence. Correction of evidence is very important. So training regulars as they catch these poachers, collecting and handling, preserving and presenting material for evidence is very, very important. We are working with wildlife institutions, just even uh, on managing these materials in their customs. So it's very, 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 very uh, important. Strengthening laws. The laws are very, very weak. I've, I've experienced where we are catching this, even middle, middle, to middle men, they are always men, but less women. Uh, middle men sneaking through the airport with commodities worth $10,000. And our laws only require them to pay a fine of $20 and they will still catch their flight. So that doesn't add up. it doesn't matter. We will confiscate the piece of wildlife we found with them, take them to yeah. in front of a judge, the judge finds them $80, and they rush the airport and catch their flight. So we need to strengthen our laws. And where we've done that, like here in Kenya, the laws are, are stringent. They catch you at the airport, you know, you're gonna be here for a number of years. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, we are working with the African Union to do that across the continent. But the networks are very important. The kingpin was caught in, uh, in Tanzania last year. The crime happened in Kenya. Right. But the collaboration between prosecutors, between security agencies, brought this woman who was Chinese based in Tanzania. Oh, I remember, I remember that story. Yeah, and was arrested. So it was, so we need to bring those regional networks and strengthen them. It's very, very important. But that conversation should not be all about wildlife laws. Yeah. It's streamlining wildlife crimes within existing laws. For example, this woman or other, other people we catch at the airport, we put them in prison because of money laundering laws, because of trade laws, sometimes migration laws that help us to get them immediately in front of the judge and put them in prison while we are investigating the wildlife crime. Because sometimes wildlife crime requires long-term investigations from the case where it happened to correcting evidence, that takes time. And we don't want these criminals to run and leave the countries while we are investigating, it becomes harder. So sometimes we apply different laws. So getting prosecutors to be aware of these other laws that can be applied in order to strengthen wildlife laws is very, very important. But funding is very low to do these things. Right. You know, a lot of the, our work really depends on is supported by donors. Mm. For example, most of our work is supported by US government. Okay. You know, INL uh, is doing a great job across the continent. Africa cannot afford to outsource 
this responsibility. Right. So the requirement of African governments and African corporate through social responsibilities to fund this kind of work is so important. We can't rely on, on donors. So th th those are kind of the areas that, uh, that has worked statistically for us from AWF. We've trained, I've talked about training. We've done about 64 trainings you know, since 2015 across the continent. Uh, and this included prosecutors, investigators, rangers, uh, judicial officers, customs, immigration officers, uh, across 18 countries on the continent. I talked about the dogs, over 400 dogs have been trained and placed at various uh, ports of entry and exit. Uh, in, in, the, in the country. Conviction, since we did our, that work, 97% yeah. of conviction. So of increase uh, in conviction. So it works. We just want Africa, governments especially, because they are the landlords. They are, they are the response to step up and take on and, and scale up some of this work some of us are doing as NGOs. All right, so what would you say are the three best opportunities that Africa's wildlife offers that the youth listening from 47 to, to, of the 54 African countries can take advantage of? Oh, we've talked about the obvious opportunity is the economic right. opportunities. Uh, yeah. I've just talked about that. Uh, gorillas, please, young people, stop talking about how you can improve your cell phone. <laughs> Uh, uh, that, that one already your 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 agreement in China, South Korea, uh, California, uh, you know, uh, Los Angeles, uh, and Latin America is also doing the same. Yeah. But there is no young person on this planet trying to figure out economic advantages of having uh, giraffes. You have a comparative advantage. Yeah. over anyone else your age mate outside Africa on that matter, whether it's rhinos, whether it's protected area. Africa has more than a uh, thousand plus protected areas across the continent. So the economic opportunity vis-a-vis -vis uh, the rest of the world uh, in terms of comparative advantage is huge. So Great. thinking about that and unpacking that I don't have answers to that, but you do. Okay. Uh, so that that's a that's a huge one, but that's a natural one, and that's a, a, a simple one. But the opportunity of raising our health, yeah, is is huge. I, you know, I talked about uh, patenting some of these medicinal properties we have across our species. You know. Africa has, in terms of species of plants, some, we don't even know them on the continent. Yeah. We, don't, we don't even know their properties. It's a huge opportunity uh, for us uh, in improving our health. You know, of course, the cultural aspect of it. Uh, uh, the, you know, you've seen recently, say the last 10 years, the ideas based on our culture, you know, the literature, the words, our especially sisters, this has been taken up by a lot of our sisters in writing poems, literature books, novels out of Africa. They are winning global awards. This is the beginning of, it's the last continent where people haven't heard about how we live, what we eat, yeah. our traditions. So turning that into poems and novels and art, music, drama, plays is huge, huge. The market opportunity of that, and that is tied to wildlife and wild lands. Right. That can give us a lot of stories. You know, the biggest story books right now, two weeks ago, in US, 
right. on the largest private public radio, NPR, is a storybook about the lion. Okay. It's not written by an African, by the way. <laughs> That's unfortunate. So the, 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 the opportunities, right. you know, of those stories, you know, Someone once said, a friend of mine said, you know, Kandu, there are more lion elephants in London than in, in the entire Africa. I said, <laughs> what are you talking about? I, what, what are you smoking? You know, uh, he, you know, he turned to me and said, you know what? Do you know how many babies enough in London attacked in bed with stuffed elephants? Right. So those, those babies have the market for any store about elephants. Right. The market for anything about elephants is huge, already huge. Multiply London with New York, with Tocho, with... So we're just kidding ourselves in terms of opportunities. But you know, the biggest one really I tell young people is the connection wildlife and wildlands. It might not turn into money, but because they determine who we are as Africans, you cannot have the confidence to rise up and challenge the rest of the world and compete with the rest of the world when you are trying so hard to be like the rest of the world. Right. Wildlands, wildlife offers young people as we continue this conversation and conservation and tying it into your mindset right. defines you who you are, gives you the confidence, gives you the language. Already it has given you your name. So you cannot compete in the, in the rest of the world in a globalized world when you entirely lose that. So for me, I think it's the biggest opportunity that it offers young people. My generation, we lost that. We grew up, you know, I'm, I'm in the 50s. We grew up admiring everything non-African from religion to food, to music, to clothing. <laughs> That's my generation. Young, to accent, the way we speak even the, 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 the languages. Sometimes our names, the young African today, through our work of conservation, right. offers you completely a different opportunity. And I'm excited because I see that already. The way you comb your hair, the way you dress, you know, the music you like, right. you know, is already, you're already moving that direction. So that excites me. Right. Okay. So what are your top five wildlife destinations or experiences that you've had while traversing Africa? I mean, you've already talked about um, Rwanda some parts of Uganda as well? I, I really hate that question because I have a, <laughs> I've been across the continent. I've been in wonderful places. Right. You know, Africa is, is the most beautiful uh, continent uh, yeah. in the entire world. How do you choose? I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. How can you have a favorite? My favorite is, is a place where I've been in Africa, quite frankly. But, but you know, I've had very good experiences across Africa. I mean, for me, in terms of Savannah Park, Kidepa and Serengeti, Kidepa National Park in Uganda, Serengeti National Park in Tanzania. Wow, what a joy uh, uh, for, 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 for Africa. Uh, with a majestic uh, mountain gorillas. Uh, right. There is a small place in DRC, Wapoli Wamba. It's a north in the equatorial province of DRC where you find uh, bonobos, uh, their primates. 
They are only found there. Uh, and bonobos are our closest cousins. They have nine human beings. Okay. Uh, it's a wonder. It's a wonder. We work there. Actually, we've managed to support communities to create a community national park conservation area, and the government has approved it. The communities manage this area. It's the only area where you find bonobos in the wilderness. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a destination. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, here in Kenya, I mean, I, mean, I, I can go on. Uh, you said five, but come on, this is Africa. Then I completely agree. <laughs> right. So unfortunately, that's all the time we have for. Um, so do you have any last words for our audience today? I mean, you've already given us such a wealth of knowledge and advice and, and, and insights on to how you think and how things should be run. So do you have any last words to our audience? Well, you said your audience is, is, is youth, but young. Uh, I had said 70s, and you guys were laughing. So I'm, I'm sure I'm talking about people who are born in 90s, 2000s. I mean, uh, you know, uh, look, I'll just take this opportunity to urge you, you know, the youth, that you are the best. Uh, and I can say the only chance Africa has. Okay. of having a bright future. You are so young, most educated, most technologically exposed right. than any African generation that has ever walked this planet. You are our hope. I, you know, some of you think you are too young. And I've said this before, to young people, I've even written, published a letter to you guys. Right. Right. I've always asked you, if you think you are young, you are in your twenties and you think you are young, just imagine the generation, you know, that fought our independence. Right. Nelson Mandela, Kwame Nkrumah, Johnny Nyerere, Patrice Lumumba, they started this fight in their 20s. Right. They never asked for any permission from anyone. They just disrupted the colonial system right. and liberated us. They were in their 20s. But they were not as educated as you are. Johnny Guerrero was a primary teacher <laughs> with a perhaps a diploma or certificate. Right. Uh, so you are more educated, you have more exposure, you have the right tools. Right. I would like you to think about it this way. That if Nelson, Kwame Nkrumah had WhatsApp, had Facebook, Nyerere is tweeting Nkrumah or <laughs> sending a video in yeah. real time. Yeah. Oh, how, how would Africa be today? Completely different. So what are you waiting for? <laughs> you need to disrupt the system. Don't wait for permission. Right. With all the tools on your feet, the challenges is you to take up the battle. And the opportunities are endless. And the opportunities that wildlife and wildlands provide to you. Because in 50 years to come, many of your peers sitting here today mm -hmm. may not be around. But I'm excited. I'm optimistic. Right. Driven by your capacity and what I see you doing already. You are already disrupting the system. At a time, especially today, I talked about, we have only 10 years. At a time when the questions and the decisions of how Africa should manage our resources responsibly and accountably, agree to share them more equitably and use them for the good of Africa and the world. When we must answer those questions. We must make the decisions today. Right. It's all up to you. 
it is you you are waiting for. Okay, thank you. thank you so much for joining us today and thank you so much for giving us that much insight. You really you really dove deep <laughs> into explaining certain concepts and you know elaborating on what conservation, wildlife, wildlands. Um, I, I bet some people didn't even know the difference between like you know wildlife and wildlands and and the impact that it has on us as human beings and and the spaces that we occupy as well. So, thank you so much for that. Well, thank you. Keep doing it. Uh, the African voice is very important in this sector. Right. Right. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. That was Kadu Sabunya, who serves as the CEO of the Africa Wildlife Foundation, whose mission is to protect Africa's most threatened species. We hope you got a glimpse of how you as a general public can help the population of threatened species as we speak up for wildlife and wildlands. What is your mission and what are you doing to achieve it? At ALU, we believe in supporting young leaders as they declare their mission and embark on the journey to achieve it. If you already have a mission or feel like you're ready to declare your mission, then ALU is a place for you. Visit our website, www.aluEducation.com to apply to ALU. Remember, you can tune into our podcast on Spotify, Anchor, and Apple Podcasts. This is the ALU podcast, Entrepreneur Leadership in Africa, Real Stories, Real Experiences.